0: scaredy cast everybody Uh, we have a special episode today scott glosserman director of behind the mask and the man behind the new comic book that follows it up before the mask the return of leslie vernon is back on the podcast uh he's giving us some info about the comic what we can expect next in the whole Leslie Vernon Universe, and uh, we just kind of talk about horror movies for an hour. Uh, It's just, you know, it's just two dudes who just really love horror, and we just talked about It and Get Out and how they kind of brought horror back into the mainstream this past summer and where horror is kind of going now in comparison to where it's been the past few years so uh just listen and enjoy it please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already if you do thank you so much uh if you haven't yet please just click subscribe and uh you know take a listen and i got the uh i got the first issue uh so I guess, like, I guess is the comic book, is this uh, the, was this the script turned into a comic book or was it kind of like, uh, you know, you guys had the script for the movie and when you decided you're going to move, switch it to a comic where you're like, well, we can elaborate a little more since, you know, on, you know, in a movie you're kind of constricted to your budget, but in a comic book you can kind of just do anything.
1: Honestly, uh, first of all, I'm thank you so much for contributing, and I'm so psyched these things have finally come out. And uh, I I would really love to get your feedback. I mean, I haven't really read any reviews yet, gotten anybody's responses, so I'm anxious to hear what people think. And I'm a little bit self-conscious because we did write the script gosh, in 2000, I don't know, eight or nine. And so, um, some of the jokes are old and it's dated. And some of the motifs we used have now been seen in films. So, so they may feel stale or trite, but they, they felt original at the time. And, uh, but to answer your question, it's this shooting script. I mean, when Nate, uh, Nathan Milner, who who's the artist when he's novelizing it or adapting it for comic book form he's consolidating it because he can only tell the story in so many pages mm. um, it's a very dialogue driven film as the first one was and so there's a lot of the script is in the comic on the page uh, but of course you can't tell really production value, you can't translate as Literally, but I would, I would submit that most of the jokes, the most of the plot, most of the dialogue is there. You have to take it with a little grain of salt because there's a lot of improv on set. Mm -hmm. So if a joke is scripted, it may not be delivered that way. If, uh, if there's a dialogue heavy scene that's scripted in the script, um, we'd probably try it in several different ways so it may not be the final shooting dialogue script but it was at the time the framework for what we wanted to do now that's that's uh interesting to see if if i a shot at creating this spremake as it were um would we go back to the drawing board and do something completely different? Would we update this to modernize it a bit, or would we leave it the way it was and just do something where this footage was filmed in 2008, so all the jokes are relevant and not stale? Mm. That's something I haven't decided yet, or may not ever need to decide if if we never do the movie, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I guess that kind of goes in what I was going to ask you, too, was you know, with the comic coming out, does this kind of shut down any chances of a you know potential movie?
1: No, far from it. I would say we really tried to create momentum in our uh, what is this—the tenth year—by yeah. going to South by doing a reunion screening at South by using that free press and momentum to launch the Indiegogo campaign for the comic books so that we could use that momentum to create a lookbook of sorts and to create a proof of concept, I suppose, toward getting the actual film funded. And um, I mean, I I was precious with the script for several years by keeping it under wraps, but I realized that that – that uh, approach wasn't serving me and and the fans any by keeping it under wraps so i figured why not just let it out and see if people respond to it positively it could only help toward getting it funded and if people respond to it negatively well it's a meritocracy after all Mm -hmm. and so maybe maybe it doesn't it's not worth making it into a film or alternatively because it's taken so long maybe that had it gotten funded at the time in 2010 or 2011 it would have been fun but now it's time to reimagine a new story for it uh because because that that script had its place and so i think this the the script needs to be appreciated and critiqued or, or considered uh, for the time in which it was written. Um, and the question is whether it would be, whether it would be fun to, um, to make that movie where this footage was embargoed, let's say for several years, but the movie is almost like a throwback to the mid aughts.
0: Right. Um, what what's
1: your opinion? I mean, that I mean I got uh, read the first issue. I suppose. Yeah. Do do you have an opinion yet?
0: I do. I I'm just like I want to know. I mean, obviously, I was only able to get the first issue because I'm poor, and I want to. You know, I was curious. I guess I was wondering where it's gonna go. Like, I I want to talk about the comic, but I also don't want to spoil what it, it is because it's kind of like from the very first page you're like oh okay so this is where we're gonna go and it's kind of a surprise so i mean i love it and it's very interesting that it's like <laughs> you know it's, well
1: thank you i'm, um, I'm uh, it's you've got a long way to go it's, it's absolutely tough to, uh, tough to start with the first issue and, yeah
0: yeah totally it's yeah. like uh it was nothing what i was expecting but it was at the same time exactly what i wanted
1: yeah, that's well. That might be the best, the best reaction, I suppose. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess <so. laughs> I'm gonna try. There's constant gonna be constant twists and turns, and um, I mean, you can only you can only do so many. Um, how should I say? There's only so many ways to frame the story if i'm trying to stick with the docu mockumentary version right uh and then mix the media with uh, the juxtaposition of well we got docu style on the one hand but then we have um omniscient horror on the other and and jumping back and forth from those two formats was one of the things that was so fresh about behind the mask. And I wanted to stick with that. Maybe add even a third, maybe the whole film footage, security, paranormal activity kind of, maybe there's a third format even, but how do you get into the docu format, um, but do something slightly different, and so this this movie within a movie, where now you're following the people who are shooting the EPK, the 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 extra footage behind the scenes stuff that all horror fans like of the the making of and the interviews and you know well you've now you've brought that in so that enables you to do the documentary if they're going to shut down the film and uh, and wait until this whole thing's resolved. Then, perhaps these these guys who are charged with shooting the e p k can go out and shoot the rest of this right. and so there that gives you the excuse to have that docu style now you got to remember at the time um, i mean outside of scream three. That's I exactly suppose. what I was
0: thinking. Like is I was bring that I was like when I started yes, reading I was like, oh my God, this Scream is 3. kinda like what Scream Three yeah. should have been in a way.
1: I, I have to acknowledge that Scream Three existed, but outside of Scream Three, there hadn't yeah. really been a movie within a movie. I mean I think in the last ten years, certainly since Behind the Mask, but even before behind the mass, there's a little bit of this, but definitely since behind the mass since two thousand and six yeah everything has gone meta i mean from from um uh ever after to traffic thunder to uh, uh cabin in the woods um you know everything is is a deconstruction of its genre is a wink and a nod and self aware breaking down the fourth wall all of that stuff yeah so so this isn't – this may seem to somebody who's just now arriving at the comic or just now discovering the film, maybe trite. And that, that bothers me a bit because I do think that Behind the Mask was one of the first deconstructions of its genre. And, uh, but by the time the sequel comes out, it's going to feel old hat. So that, that may also be one of the reasons why it's been so difficult to get the sequel funded because it was it was almost a victim of its own success. Not Certainly not financial success, but um, uh, creative success.
0: Right. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, with how successful it was over the summer, that, you know, there's a lot of movies that were very similar to it that didn't have that success, but I think it was all because people are getting kind of tired of you know the horror movies that are you know making fun of themselves or like winking yep. at the audience while they're going wrong right. and people are wanting that nostalgia like the old school style of horror like you know it did
1: i think you have you're you're totally right like one of the very first scripts that i got when i had my 15 seconds after uh, I was one of the it directors after South by Southwest when I debuted Behind the Mask mm-hmm. and I was doing the rounds in Hollywood, getting all the interesting scripts and whatnot. One of the very first scripts I got was Zombieland. And I read Zombieland and I thought to myself, you know, I, I'm not even past page two. And it's like rule number one. Yeah. run as fast as you can and i'm thinking did this guy literally did this guy read behind the mask or see behind the mask and he's just done sort of the same thing but for zombies and and by the way the Dead just came out and yeah this is sort of this has been done and i feel like, and by the way i just did this for slashers and should i should i even go out for this um so i, I kind of <laughs> dismissed it out of hand, you know, and I, I, um, but I was, I was feeling the way you felt, you're feeling now. I was feeling that way in 2007, 2008, when I all of a sudden saw this wave of of sort of deconstruction, self-referential films. Now, on that film particular, Ruben Fleischer, who, believe it or not, went to my high school, uh, he did an amazing, amazing job. He took it in a whole way with a whole aesthetic motif that I never would have, and and he, he crushed it. And that was great. Um, but just in my mindset, I was already thinking – about what you're thinking about now, which is, isn't that already old hat? So gosh, 10, 12 years later, um, you know, you're right. It is, it's Everything's cyclical. It'll come back. Mm-hmm. But for now, has the whole self-referential thing had its day? Is the right place for Before the Mask in comic book form? Um, you know, does it even deserve uh, to be shot? I, I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as I can about it, even though I would, I would obviously like for nothing more than to go shoot the film.
0: Right. And yeah, you know, speaking of, you know, it's the whole cycle thing and the nostalgia, it's kind of, I feel like, you know, older people, like, you know, people in their, like their late twenties or their thirties and their forties, you know, they're used to the old style slasher movies that, you know, they love and, you know, they want to go back to, and it's kind of like when the satire horror kind of came along, it was like, oh, this is brand, this is something new and enjoyable, and, you know, I'm going to dive into this, and, you know, with something like It comes out, and, you know, people are kind of like familiar with it, and they want to get back into the, you know, the old ways, and, you know, people who are younger, who started out with like the satire horror, you know, they'll, you know, we can bring back the slasher and they'll get into that because to them, even though it's old, but it's something new to them. And then, you know, they'll go through that and then they're going to want the satires to come back and then it'll just kind of repeat itself. But it's,
1: it's a really good point. I mean, that's a, that's a very good observation. I and mean, the people who ran right around 2006, 2007 were 11, 12, 13 years old, maybe seeing, horror films for the first time it's kind of like they wouldn't even get the referential stuff because they hadn't even been through it and uh and then all of a sudden um all these remakes are happening at the same time so so texas chainsaw is doing this remake and, and nightmare on elm street and all of these films um I, it would be an interesting time to be a, to be a teenager, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, cause you've just emerged from the torture porn era, which, you know, young kids are going to be way too young to see the whole early two thousands, the, the cabin fevers and the, the saws, yeah. um, they, they're probably just discovering that as high schoolers sort of, but, but after, but on, on home video and, um. And that's not what this what behind the mask was really referencing because the and then you had at the same time you had the fantastical um Japanese horror, which was the ghostly horror um so that was something different, but again, not what behind the mask was referencing, so you really go a good ten years before the psycho slasher has its cyclical. Comeback, and and that's in the form of a remake of all the, all the the icons of horror, and uh, and so it's just really really interesting how that all thing whole thing comes around. I will say the most successful horrors um, of of recent. I mean, of it you just mentioned, but even going back to Cabin in the Woods and things in between seem to not be overly gory. And seem to be hit just that right note of uh, of uh, fun and comic and horror. And, um, because it's hitting, it's hitting the female demographic as well as the male demographic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would, I would say Blumhouse would be the first to say that, um, the majority of their audience, I mean, by maybe a factor of five or 10%, but probably 55 to 65% of the horror audience for the Blumhouse movies are, are women. Yeah. And, um, and so going back all the way to the scream franchise final destination you know the the this is totally a stereotype but the notion that girls women want to be scared uh but not grossed out guys want to be grossed out yeah. yeah and scared but um but i think the recent massive horror hits have struck a good balance there
0: yeah and it's funny that you bring up blumhouse because for a while i'm so in love with like you know, slasher movies, and they just don't exist anymore. And, you know, the older style of horror and everything is, you know, it's like you said with, you know, the scary ghost girls from, you know, Asian horror movies and stuff that I'm just not into. But I did realize that every horror movie that's new that has been coming out that I enjoyed is a Blumhouse movie. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm with october happening and halloween coming up you know when the month started i'm like all right i'm gonna watch one horror movie every day this month and i'm gonna to try to watch one i either haven't seen before or i haven't watched in like over 10 years
1: wow and, that's impressive
0: and uh so far i've kept up with it uh there's been a couple of days where i kind of like i was like god it's one in the morning and i'm super tired but i haven't watched my horror movie tonight so i gotta force myself but uh I just watched one and it's called Creep.
1: Okay. And sure. it's
0: exactly that where it's like it's a slasher movie, but there's no there's there's no slashing going on, there's no gore, but it's insanely scary and entertaining all at the same time. Like mm. there's one that I loved and it's also one that I know like if I force it's it's the first movie since Sleepaway Camp where i i can't wait to watch it again just so i can introduce it to other people and like watch their reactions as the movie is happening
1: you know that's something so great about the horror genre i know there's others look i loved introducing friends to reservoir dogs and people who had never seen true romance and you know nine queens and and spanish prisoner but when it comes to horror it's just so much fun to to introduce somebody to a new horror film for some reason uh, more than most other genres and uh and one of the most gratifying things to me is to hear anecdotes of people who've said you know i love showing this movie to friends and maybe it's just because the movie is so obscure it's i mean it's very well known by very, very few people, but but the people who do know it tend to respond pretty positively to it. And I think it's one of those things where, look, I've got this really, really great little restaurant you've never heard of. I can't wait to take you there. Mm. It's kind of the same thing with the with this movie and maybe other indie films. Like, I got this movie. I know you've never heard of it, but trust me, when you see it, you're going to you know, love me for recommending it. I love I, – I really enjoy – playing that role having this film be that pay it forward kind of kind of film that that people have in their back pocket
0: yeah it definitely you know behind the mask is like i really wish it was more well known than it is but at the same time it's kind of like i'm so happy that it's one of those movies that not a lot of people that i know have seen just so i can introduce them to it
1: so let me ask you a question yeah this is is an interesting hypothetical that that is fodder for for dinner table conversations every every so many (laughs) years around this household when you step back and you think you know how many people honestly in the in the world in the united states actually know about this film you know is it in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Is it a million people? Is the, is is Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central and Fangoria, are the people who visit those websites, do you add them all up? Or, um, so is it the 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 aggregate of all those websites comprises the the hardcore horror aficionados, or does everybody visit the same site? So you can really take the analytics from all of those sites and and have a good idea of of how many real hardcore horror fans who might know about this movie are. The question is I have for you would mm. be. Do few enough people know about this film that it's kind of like discovering some great Icelandic independent horror movie that someone's going to come in and remake an American version of for a few million bucks, but, but do a bigger, more commercial, bigger cast version of it. Um, Or do you go and make the sequel And hope that the sequel is bigger as most sequels are and more commercial. And then people rediscover the first one. question is, have so few people seen the first one that maybe the strategy is uh, to redo the first one, but to do it in a bigger, more commercial way? What do you think about that?
0: I do have an answer for this. And I go back to Creep. Um, I say sequel now or even in a couple of years from now maybe would get more attention than the original and then bring more eyes back to checking out the original and i say that because when creep came out it was three years ago i just now found out about that movie just a couple of months ago I Had mm-hmm. no idea it even existed didn't know what was going on but number one i guess i you know Was listening to the Nerdist podcast and uh, I found out it was A Blumhouse movie so I was like oh Blumhouse they make good horror movies I'm going to watch this one but Everywhere I'm going online Especially in the past week It's promotion for the sequel The sequel is everywhere right now And that kind of also Triggered me to be like oh wow there's a Sequel well I'm Going to watch the first one tonight And see what it's all about And then if I like it, you know, I'll go check out the sequel. So I think a sequel to Behind the Mask would possibly do the same thing. And maybe even, like, it's something that, you know, I don't know, you know, where rights are and all that kind of stuff. But maybe it's even something that Blumhouse could do themselves, you know, like, especially if it was, like, a Blumhouse movie, you know, since they're Mm -hmm. doing so well and everything. And I was like, oh, wow, Blumhouse is doing a sequel to Behind the Mask. Holy shit. That's crazy. Like you know and all those people that are just now discovering especially with um happy death day coming out and doing so well and all these articles going out about how like the slasher movies back and stuff and i think it could work i would and but also at the same time like if i saw a headline pop up that says like sony pictures picks up rights to remake behind the mask i wouldn't be surprised because it's kind of like you know enough people know about that movie that it's popular to where if a remake came out everybody would be pissed off unless they found out that you know like you and all the right people were involved but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like uh kind of, like, yeah
1: yeah that listen uh your your instincts are correct i think and uh i'm i'm really excited to talk to blumhouse by the way i actually have not and believe it or not, I haven't talked to Blumhouse specifically about the Behind the Mask sequel. I think it would be a great marriage, and uh, yeah,
0: definitely. And
1: they, um, yeah, that would be that would be really really interesting to do. Um, I was going to ask you something else about about the movie conceptually, but it's slipped my mind.
0: Oh well, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like especially if it was just one of those that was made for netflix because mm-hmm. it seems like that's the place to go for like that's pretty much where i watch all my horror movies this month is just finding new ones on netflix and i watched one that i hated a whole lot but i think it's just one of those i needed to grow on me and revisit again called uh beyond the gates I was watching oh, man. it and
1: I haven't seen me on the gates, but is <laughs> that, that's one that grew on you that just, it needed to season for a bit.
0: I think so. Cause when I watched it, I was like, Oh my God, this, uh, I hate this movie. Ugh. And my wife, she's really like super against horror movies. She doesn't really like horror movies too much. So if she was a bad one, she's going to rip into it. And she was kind of feeding it, but uh-huh. it's kind of like been non on me a little bit. Like maybe I need to go back. It's kind of uh, like your next, When I saw Your Next in the theater, I walked out of the theater. I'm like, that was the stupidest movie I've ever seen in my life. But then it just stayed with me. And then I wound up going and watching it again. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is one of my favorite horror movies ever. And the director of that movie, you know, he went on and he made The Guest. And that was amazing. And then it was kind of like, all right, well, now anytime I see this guy's name on a movie, I'm going to watch that movie.
1: Uh, No matter what. That is great. uh, I'm sure he appreciates that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, I heard he was making some movie called The Woods about like a group of campers that go into the woods. Yeah, of course. I I was like, oh my God, I'm there for this movie like 100%. And the trailer came out and I'm like, I'm not watching the trailer. Like I'm I'm going into this movie fresh because I'm going to see it. And then the whole yep. thing at like Comic Con happened where it turned out it was going to be a Blair Witch sequel. And I lost my mind and I went running through the house and yelling at my wife, like, you're not going to believe this. And she's like, you're dumb. Like,
1: <laughs> she's like, Oh, man. I remember that whole thing happening at South by. That was a great, that was a really great uh, trick that yeah. they pulled off. So you, you mentioned Happy Death Day. And mm-hmm. I have. I have such a love hate with that because I, that was of all the scripts that I read, top three for me. Yeah. I mean, that was so in my wheelhouse. I just thought that, that, script, that script at the time was called Half to Death. And I was all over that. All I wanted to do was go direct it. And then that movie, uh, got put in a turnaround. It, it got one director and it lost a director and, and it had its up and downs and it couldn't get made. And at one point I tried to option the rights myself to produce it, and go finance it. And, um, and I was always wondering, you know, why is this so hard? This is, this is a, I, I understand people don't understand horror comedies. I mean, you Mm. can't imagine trying to get, um, I mean, I wanted to direct Tucker and Dale versus evil. I thought there's a great horror comedy I'd love to do. There were other horror comedies and I just couldn't get anybody, the screen gems of the world, the dimensions. They would always say, you know, Scott, we know how to market comedies and we know how to market horror films, but nobody does a horror comedy it's just it's a cross genre it's too hard it's not cookie cutter and so i couldn't get anything the only reason tucker and dale got made was because the directors the writers became the director and they raised the money privately uh half to death just wasn't getting made and um and despite all my efforts i think i tried for six years the one of the co-writers ultimately ended up directing the film and fortunately film Blumhouse to do it but i've realized in retrospect you know some of the reasons i I was unable to direct these great scripts these horror comedies were because for some reason the writers are so precious about them and it's because they're so good they're such great scripts but the writers persevere and the writers end up directing mm-hmm. them which which is the case with Tucker and Dale and Half to Death which became Happy Death Day so it's something very very interesting about the horror comedy genre that uh that keeps the writer director turned auteur in house i don't know what that is i can't put my finger on it but there's a consistent through line there that i'm I'm still trying to understand
0: yeah and yeah i guess it's kind of you know like tucker and dale and happy death day that it is hard to do. There's not a whole lot of horror comedies anymore. Like very, very rarely you find them. And if you do, they're not great, but when they're done good, they're so good.
1: Well, there never were. I mean, before behind the mask, the only horror comedies I could come up with were American werewolf in London, Mm -hmm. which was arguably a horror comedy and um, and tremors, which I don't even think may, probably doesn't qualify uh, so much as a horror, but um, but you know you have to really stretch your definition to even even come up with any horror comedies pre behind the mask and and I, you know slither had come out. Yeah. Right as right as behind the mask came out, snakes on a plane kind of came out right around there. I remember Eli Roth being quoted, you know, the horror comedy doesn't work; it it can't work. And I thought, why are you doing that to us? But
0: uh, yeah, and that's kind of weird too, but, because Cabin Fever is, you know, kind of like a horror comedy itself too. To me, it was at least like.
1: Well Anytime but it I doesn't it was taking worm, itself maybe. seriously. Now you can laugh with something or you can laugh at something. Yeah. And so I think uh you know, people laugh during Scream because they're trying to they're they're letting out their anxieties. You know, people are laughing um at certain movies where they're rolling their eyes, and some people are laughing with movies that are intentionally trying to have you come along with it. So it sort of depends what spectrum that on, but it doesn't necessarily define the genre, the subgenre.
0: Mm.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's but that. in any event, um, I just I think uh, you know there have never really been very many horror comedies either before or after. But I I'll say you know when with it's got plenty of comedy in it and most horror films now even if they're not self-referential have a degree of comedy in them maybe to let the let the tension out or that's just tonally that's where we are right whereas you know take the first 10 years of the turn of the century the as we see I mean, the torture porn not a hint of comedy in those yeah. but you take something that's really scary like it but you do have this pressure release of those those comic moments
0: yeah and with like the movies I like, saw um you know I saw them all in the theater when they came out and I remember you know I enjoyed them but I wasn't ever like really super hardcore into them like I never other than the first two, maybe I never rewatched the other ones. And, you know, after part three, like if you told me a moment from a saw movie that included the other ones, I couldn't tell you which one it came from. Like, I'd be like, I have no idea. Like they kind of all just mashed together, but with them kind of taking a break from it, you know, coming out with one every single year and bringing it back, I'm kind of, you know, I've gone back to revisit these movies and, I'm excited. I'm like, oh, my God, there's a new Saw movie coming out. This is great. And, you know, I guess it kind of goes all the way back to where we were talking about, you know, the older movies coming back and being new again. And it's that's kind of what I want to see. I don't want to see, you know, whenever there's room for you to continue a story, I don't want to have a remake of it. So,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: yeah, it's, it's – I always had – but an idea for how they could continue the Halloween franchise, but you know, nobody's going to listen to me and I don't know, even know where to even begin, but it's kind of confusing well, to me with, how Hey, there's
1: always fan fiction, I'll always post them. <laughs> <laughs> but take, I mean, just look, they take, take a look at get out, take a look at it, both super solid writing, substantive storylines, plots, twists, uh, great filmmaking, um, you know, one's derivative, the other one isn't, but what do they both have? I mean, they're both really scary, Yeah. not, not gory, but scary. And they have comic moments. Um, that's, that is the influence somewhere along the line of either culture, because and I've, I've harped on this, uh, like all my career, the horror films reflect that the the zeitgeist that we're yeah. living in at the moment, but uh, but also influences, and and so with with the zombie lands and with the self referential stuff, and I think that comedy uh, horrors have a have those moments that they're dotted with those moments of those comic timings, you know, put Get Out and put it up against cabin fever and saw and you're in a completely different era mm-hmm. and uh, like to, uh, totally different different era it's Just just a, a, a completely different almost um type of film yeah. and uh and that that's reflective of the times for sure
0: yeah totally and the thing that drives me so much what drives me crazy about it is my wife she's very very picky with her movies she has a very weird movie taste where it's like i'll try to get her to watch a movie and she'll hate it and I'm like what are you talking about this is one of the greatest movies ever made and when another transformers movie comes out she's like i gotta go see new transformers i'm like oh my god but <laughs> she like strange. like she loves behind the mask and she loves trick-or-treat and she oh loved, really yeah and she loves Shaun of the dead and it's like i know her style and i know her humor and i know that if she saw it it would be her favorite movie ever but she's claiming she's so scared of clowns i can't talk her into seeing the damn movie and i'm like no you don't understand like the movie's about getting over your fear and the clown's are not even the scary and it's actually like the funniest movie i've seen all year yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean it's definitely not horror comedy but but you can you know you just p- pick them all off Zombieland, land shawn of the dead and then get out and it, I mean, there's there's a a wide spectrum of the either the horror comedy or horrors with comedic moments, but the um, the the genre is definitely opened up, and all of those movies just constantly influence one another, and then the genre evolves. Um, there will be, for sure uh the especially these slasher remakes, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna come full circle. It always does. But clearly especially the Blumhouse model, which again is majority female driven, um, it's gonna stay it's gonna stay scary and fun. That mm-hmm. was Final Destination that was Scream scary and fun. Um as as opposed to dark and gory and violent although those will continue to exist in a huge way um anyhow so what what, wow how did we just completely digress into pontificating about (laughs) horror we're just
0: dissecting it one one neither of us like
1: to do that ever i'm sure (laughs)
0: uh i know. like whenever i saw the trailer for happy death day i was like oh my god this looks great like i'm getting a slash so movie i'm
1: so bitter and i'm I getting hate everything about. <laughs> i don't want to see it but i loved that script and so yeah
0: i'm I just yeah. psyched it got I'm, made i've been there and uh i saw then i saw i was rated pg-13 and i was like oh gosh I, again like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i know there's good pg-13 horror movies out there but they're really few and far between and uh then I saw it was a Blumhouse, and I was like, okay, well, I'll watch it. But I haven't, right. I haven't had a chance to go see it yet, but I'm definitely going to because, you know, it's like I said, it's like, you know, every good horror movie that's kind of sneaked in, you know, especially like on Netflix, you know, I always see that Blumhouse logo right at the start, and I'm like, oh, my God, okay, well, this is going to be interesting.
1: You know, it's so interesting about what what you're saying is that – Blumhouse has really been so successful at creating such a important brand for itself. I mean the the, the super horror fan would have seen Anchor Bay and said, mm. Okay, you know, <laughs> they've got all the horror movies. Yeah, you know, they definitely have their hits and misses, but Blumhouse does a really good job of saying, Look, this wasn't worth three thousand screen release, this is home video, you know, we're telling you what it is. Um, so we're not we're not gonna hit on everything. Um, I think Anchor Bay probably tried to suggest that all their movies were, were of the same quality. Um, Blumhouse does a good job of being pretty transparent about their films and how they feel they came out. But I, I'll say, you know, unlike it's not like a lot of people distinguish Warner Brothers from Fox when it comes to a blockbuster, but the fact that Blumhouse has created such a trustworthy brand is 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 one of the most amazing things I think that that we've seen in the movie industry over the last several years
0: right, and you know they've definitely you know especially today changed it to where you know when i was i know when I was a kid, my parents owned a video store. And it was, you know, if a movie's in the theater, it's a big movie. It's a big deal. It's going to be good, maybe. But if it's directed VHS, it's 100% going to be awful. (laughs) But now it's like, you know, you want to find all the good horror movie stuff. You have to, you know, jump on Netflix and find those releases or jump into iTunes or Amazon. And, you know, more often than not, you're going to find movies like, you know, like Creep or uh, one I just watched called The Babysitter that just came out that's better than any horror I've seen in theaters, you know, outside of it and, you know, get out obviously in a really long time.
1: Mm, mm -hmm,
0: So it's mm kind of like, it's it's very true. That whole like direct to whatever, you know, saying is no more. It's kind of like, well, if it's direct, you know, it's still going to be, you know, better than any Michael Bay movie. I'm going to go see in the movie theater.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, so interesting about that. It's, it's, I mean, I guess this is, I'm sort of repackaging your thought here, but you're right in so far as 10 years ago, if it were direct to video, it immediately had this stigma attached to it. Well, it must be crap today. If it doesn't get a theatrical and it goes direct to Netflix or Amazon, by the way, it may be good. It totally may be good, but it also may be crap. It may be the exact movie that 10 years ago would have gone direct-to-video, but there's there's just no more stigma about it. And you can't differentiate between something that goes direct-to-Netflix that's good and something that goes direct-to-Netflix that's bad. I mean I think it's pretty hit or miss, yeah. obviously. If, if Netflix is saying, look, it, we were never giving any of these theatricals. They're all going direct-to-Netflix. Then it's sort of like, okay, well then what you're saying is one of these – is really, really good. But it still means that the rest may still suck. You just, you don't know. Yeah. And it's So that's kind of part of the fun, is finding the gems.
0: Right. And it's like, I could see a movie like, you know, Creep, where I'll watch it, and I'm like, oh my God, this should have been in the movie theater. It's so good. But at the same time, like, if this went to movie theaters, it would have failed miserably, because nobody would have went and saw it, because they'd, like, this is weird. I don't like it. And right it's like right. well and so, as you're watching you're like this is hard to market too like without giving a lot of it away
1: well so what is your what's your outlook you're you are uh kind of excited i think that the uh there's so much access to so many great films now online you do like what you're seeing in theaters at Take It, and you like the reemergence of the slasher. So you, you're pretty bullish on horror right now.
0: I'm excited because it and Get Out kind of brought it more into the mainstream again. And the quality of all of them are, you know, oh, for a while it was like I couldn't find a good horror movie anywhere. And it was like when I did, there was like maybe one or two a year I would come across. I was like, oh my God, that was great. And the rest were like, ugh. But now it's like, like I said, I've been watching one horror movie a day, every day this month. And I've only come across one that I was not a fan of, but even that one, I'm planning on going back and revisiting again and checking out because it's like, I think there's something in this movie I'm missing and I need to watch it again. So it's kind of like, there's an, you know, reemergence of horror again that hasn't been around since maybe, I guess Scream was the last time when horror kind of you know had its big uptick. Mm, mm-hmm. That I could, yeah, that I could remember at least. I remember when Scream came out. It was yeah, it's the
1: like, commercial uptick. Yeah, it was like sure. every
0: horror movie was just trying to be Scream again. You know, it was like somebody's a killer. Figure out who it is at the end, kind of thing.
1: Well, except for Blair Witch. I mean, I think yeah. Blair Witch came out after. Scream, yeah, I think, yeah. So, uh, there's, but in any event, to t- bring this back around to the comic, do you? I'm definitely going to send you the second issue because I want I want you to keep reading. So, you have to send me your address for sure. <laughs> I want to I want to get your. <laughs> I will turn down free comics. <laughs> but the question about the comic is whether whether this is going to achieve what it's intended to be look here it is this is what you've been hoping for for the last 10 years this is what we would have made probably at the time so put yourself back in 2008 2009 and uh would this have been satisfying or are you glad we didn't make it because you would have been underwhelmed i'm i'm kind of anxious to hear what people have to say because if people are like yeah that is great. Uh, we wish, wish that would have been a movie. You know, maybe the next step is to try another crowdfunding campaign. I've got some matching investors. Maybe go out to a Blumhouse um, and get this thing set up. The question is, though, you know, there's the blueprint. What do the what are the real Leslie Vernon fans? How do they feel about this? Or do they still want a sequel? But why don't you go back to the drawing board and do something more contemporary? That's something I'm struggling with, to be honest.
0: Right. I mean, for me personally, if I, you know, I have that first movie and now I'm going to have this series of comics and, you know, it's like I said, I've only got the first issue. And, you know, for 10 years in my mind, I've had what I would want to see in a sequel, but when I got that first issue and I looked at it, it was nothing what I had wanted in my mind, but it was better. It was like, Oh, this is like, I never even thought we should even go in this direction. And this is great. Like, I'm glad we did this. So it's, I got the first movie. I'm going to have this series of comics. Me personally, as a fan, I would want a continuation movie that, you know, a lot of people that watch the movies, they're not going to read the comic, but you know, me personally, I guess, I would want that third movie to be a sequel to the first movie, but not forget the comic.
1: Oh, wow. You're actually saying something uh, that that checks off both the boxes. Yeah. You're actually saying, <laughs> no, there, there's a world in which the comic can be great, the, which which all of us horror fans can appreciate the comic for what it is, what it was, and and truly love it and want a sequel to sort of pick up where the comic left off. Right. So the sequel is effectively part three, and you'd have to watch the first movie, then read the interstitial comic, and then watch part three. So that's a that's a very uh, deft way of saying, uh, no, don't, don't do the comic, not because it's no good, but don't do the comic because it is good, but you've done it. So go... Go go do a, a whole other one That picks up where that left off
0: Yeah and I mean it's not like uh, It's It's kind of like the novelization Of a movie kind of like uh, You know when Star Wars Force Awakens Came out they came out with that novel that Tied you know episode 6 To episode 7 but you didn't need To read that novel To know anything at all But right. it, was, right. it was Just a continue that's my big thing my personally, like, my big thing with horror is I need continuity constantly, which is frustrating because my favorite franchise is the Halloween franchise, which already has multiple timelines. And oh,
1: you <laughs> must have loved Halloween 3.
0: I actually love Halloween 3. Like, I really love it. But You do? When I, was you just, a, when I first saw it, when I was a kid. You don't mind that it's actually called Halloween and not the <laughs> right. other movie? I just, I always refer to it as a season of the witch and uh yeah yeah, right i mean if you take off halloween 3 and it's just called season of the witch everybody's like that's an amazing it's a standalone
1: movie movie. and i understand and and it's it's almost like uh you know a short story sort of side story in the middle of yeah a
0: franchise there was uh what did i um what was i talking about brain fart anyways yeah with the halloween franchise Season season of the witch it's like you know that franchise already has like different timelines where it splits off, and you know when you're following the little girl and Laurie, you know, died in a car accident or something. But then you have the other one that where H two O comes in, and then you know you find out they're making a new Halloween and they're bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis, but it's ignoring everything except for the very first movie. So you're getting a third timeline, and while I'm excited because it's like you know it's my favorite you know horror villain and my franchise and it's coming back in a big way. I'm like, God, I wish they would just continue the story. Like,
1: mm-hmm. I Instead guess they're going back and re, and recycling it every time. Yeah.
0: And I guess that's why I'm so excited about things like saw coming back. It was like, I wasn't a big fan of the original series, but they're continuing it. It's not a spin-off or any of that mess. It's a continuation. And it's why I'm, you know, I really love what they're doing with child's play movies now. Like it's, they're continuing them they're not rebooting them you know it's an ongoing story but at the same time they're going in a completely new direction with them all right so it's like right. you know with behind the mask is you know you have your first movie the comics here and if you know i ever saw you know another movie i would want it to be you know a direct sequel to the first but also you know depending on what happens in the rest of the comics obviously you know i would hope that it would still you know give a wink and a nod i guess to the comics so it's like you know the comic readers would You know have their payoff in a way you know that they stuck by you know leslie vernon and went into the comics so they're not forgotten but you know all the new viewers you know they get to experience something great in a sequel
1: i think that is uh, a commendable idea and uh it's definitely one to consider for sure Definitely. I mean, look, these are good problems to have. We need <laughs> yeah. we need somebody to believe in the in Leslie Vernon and and uh, cough up the dough. And you're right, maybe that's maybe that is Blumhouse. So we should see very soon. Now that the comic is out, the hard press is on to um get that blueprint in front of in front of people, in right. front of decision makers. Where so can uh, I guess like we'll my see.
0: you know As soon as I finished the first one, I was like, "Well, shit! I didn't. I wasn't a backer to get the other issues. Where can everybody find the comics, and when can they?"
1: I I will send you (laughs) the second (laughs) issue because this has been such a fun talk, and I really wanna want you to keep reading. Uh, We're giving we we printed only enough of the of the uh, first and second and. And we we will print only enough of the third issue to satisfy the orders of the original backers, and and so that first edition first printing is is effectively limited to the number of orders that we got originally in the campaign. Uh, there there's a handful of additional ones that are going to cast and myself. Family but um so we're going to keep that that run short and by the way, there are a few typos and misspellings, and so there are also errors in them and <laughs> and, uh, and so the second so we're going to launch a web store, and we're going to sell the first issues, all, all six issues. And then an anthology. Um, but, but the ones that are available on the web store will be the, the, the second printings. Um, and so they'll be made available. And, uh, and then as far as issues, so the, the Indiegogo campaign effect successfully funded the first three issues, the this, the next three issues or the last three issues, that um, we're going to fund those off of the sales of the web store. So we really do want to get the word out. Once we do launch that store, that store will be launched probably within 10 days or so. We just wanted to get all of the shipments out so that before – the first purchase was made of the commercial version of the comic, the original backers. We, we felt as though they had an opportunity to receive and read the issues. And I should also say the web store, we're going to have some fun merchandise as well. We're creating a, a great t-shirt with the paradise lost on the front and found it on the back. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're talking about doing a hard cider, um, a hard scyther some maybe a pumpkin ale. Need so some, uh, Leslie
0: Vernon socks. Won't... Say that again. Need some uh, Leslie Vernon socks. I just there I got I've, go. I've been getting into socks lately. I don't know. I got like all kinds of. I have like a. Uh, there's this place called Fright Rags, and they just put out yeah. like, these insanely they awesome socks well. all the time. Like I got Slaughtered Lamb socks and Season of the Witch socks, and I walk around all the time, like showing people my legs, and it's weird.
1: Okay, done. <laughs> okay, so we're definitely, definitely going to do some Leslie Rand socks. Um, we're going to put all of that in our store, the enamel pins. Uh, people sometimes want those these days. We're going to, um, so we're going to really try to beef up our sales and the film is also I've I all the rights reverted back to me uh, around the first of the year and now Anchor Bay is no more so it was really fortunate to get back those rights before they got lost Mm. uh to to the parent company but um but I've uh, I'm putting the film back out all over the internet it's going to be available through VOD platforms yeah. starting Halloween weekend. yeah. So I saw that it's, uh, I'm excited for new people to discover it.
0: It can uh, be pre-ordered on the iTunes store already. I saw that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm psyched about that. And the more people who pre-order it, the higher it will be featured when it does launch over Halloween weekend. So hopefully people will discover this lost uh, this lost film come Halloween weekend and that'll create another little surge toward, uh, momentum of putting the sequel together, which will be fun. And I do have a director's commentary. I never did a director's commentary. I let the cast get together over a case of beer and, and run through it. (laughs) And, um, and I, th- I think Ankle Bay will call me when they put the Blu-ray out. But by the time they get the Blu-ray out, they just they weren't going to do any special features, so yeah. I just kind of forgot about it. But it was great to revisit it ten years later and do a director's commentary f- with a contextual perspective. So definitely enjoyed that. So that'll be on the tenth anniversary re-release.
0: Excellent, uh, and that's yeah. out where uh, and that's out on Halloween Day, right?
1: Uh, it may it may come out a day or two before, so it's so it's the weekend before so it's Tuesday. So I, I, I don't have control of that. I know it'll be out for Halloween, mm-hmm. and it'll be out on Amazon and Google Play, and, um, and iTunes and uh, Hoopla and Voodoo. So hopefully, it'll be everywhere people can access it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on again, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, oh, it's my pleasure, thank you so much for, for continuing to be interested and supportive of the film. I'm, I'm just eternally grateful. Oh, really appreciate sure, it
0: for sure. Thank you for making great movie. Um,
1: thank you, I appreciate that. We'll get that. you.
0: We'll get you back on here when we're uh, ready to announce the the new movie.
1: Uh, you got it.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, Take man. care. All right, take care, uh, Your lips to his <laughs> For sure. <laughs> see, ya. Right, see
1: you. All right, <laughs>